0: Stay calm, don't panic, you got this. Hey everyone, welcome to the podcast, this is Chris Roby.
1: And Carly Duke's here as well.
0: She is, she's right there. I'm right here. You doing alright?
1: Yeah, I'm doing great, how are you?
0: I'm good, I'm good, it's beautiful outside. I know, it's Spring pretty. has sprung, yeah.
1: It has. I'm a little tired though, from this weekend we had our Teen Lifeline 5K. Show. Oh yeah,
0: yeah, tell us about the 5K.
1: It was great, so we had... I have no idea. I was going to guess a number of runners that we had come out in. 20-ish, 2025, something yeah. like that. Yeah. But and that doesn't sound like a lot, but what's incredible is that we raised over $44,000. So That's awesome. Um that's great for Teen Lifeline that we can do stuff like this podcast that we can continue to help teenagers. So, it was a great weekend, but also kind of glad it's over.
0: Yeah, yeah. Those those kind of weekends are always exciting. Um and it it helps us do the podcast, do groups, those kind of things and you know, someone else who helps us do these podcasts is Lubbock Christian University, who's our sponsor. Yeah. And they, uh, uh, have generously helped us out and, you know, in some ways sight unseen, uh, this is a new podcast and they believed in us enough to say, Hey, we want to help you guys out and get this thing started. Uh, so go to lcu.edu uh, for more information on Lubbock Christian and they've got some great academic programs, obviously, uh, information on scholarships, uh, financial aid, those kind of things. And, uh, Apparently pretty good at athletics, too.
1: Yeah, the Lady Chaps, their basketball team, have been undefeated this season so far. By the time this releases, hopefully they're still undefeated and won the championship.
0: Uh, Not just academics, obviously, but uh, great athletics as well. So check out lcu.edu. And at the end of the podcast today, you'll also hear a brief promo for LCU as well, so you know more about them. But let's go with the interview. I'm really excited about today's interview.
1: Yeah, this was a great interview, Mm -hmm. a great discussion that – I really enjoyed and felt like I learned a lot as well.
0: Yeah, we we met Sally uh, back in January. January yeah, I mm-hmm. believe uh, met her at a conference, and I've known of Sally for a long time. She's actually from my hometown of Wichita Falls. Small world. What a yes,
1: small world. and
0: small town too. And <laughs> uh, Sally wrote a book called uh, "Loves God, Likes Girls." Uh, she is uh, uh, kind of speaks for the uh, same sex attraction. Uh, Gay christian uh, in the book and she is it's a memoir that she kind of talks about her growing up in a small town and uh, Her experiences uh, coming out and also Kind of balancing the spiritual life with that as well and help basically helping people have better conversations uh, Around the issue of homosexuality same-sex attraction and we talked to sally couple months ago now about that, uh, about her organization, Centerpiece, uh, and had some great talks about that.
1: Yeah, so she's the executive director of Centerpiece, and that nonprofit that I believe she started as well Mm -hmm. and works for um, is all about having conversation between the gay community and the local church. And So you'll hear that a lot in her discussion, what she talks about. She works with the church a lot and is passionate about bridging that gap, Um, and so you'll see that in our conversation today, but we hope if you are a part of the gay community or listening today, that you see that conversations are happening and, um, the church is not perfect. And we know that as well, but Sally Geary is doing a great job of bringing conversation and having meaningful discussions and being able to open that door and it be a positive and beneficial conversation as well.
0: I think what's really cool about this is our particular tribe that we uh that we come from religiously is pretty conservative and but yet these conversations are happening and people are trying to um speak better about it and we actually talk about that right at the beginning about language Mm -hmm. uh to to wrap around uh this issue and um trying to find ways like carly said to bridge gap so we're really excited about that we hope that this is one of those conversations that no matter where you come from you know um that there are good things happening and there's a good positive direction to go um no matter really where you fall on this and most importantly this is about having conversations with teenagers who uh identify as gay you know, find better ways to support them. And so we really hope this is something that is beneficial to you, the listeners. So without further ado, check it out.
1: Here's Sally Gary. Do not panic.
0: Uh, we're interviewing Sally Gary, and we're really glad that she's here. And she's going to uh, spend some time talking to us today about um, helping. Uh, teenagers, uh, with same sex, sex attraction. And, uh, she's gonna share some of her stories. She wrote this great, uh, book called Loves God Likes Girls. And we're really excited to talk to her about that because we just, uh, over the last couple of weeks have been reading that and talking about it even in our office. And so it's been great. And, and like, this is a first for me. I've never, like, read a book and then, Talk to the author after that, so that's really cool. <laughs> Are well, you geeking out over
2: there? <laughs> don't get excited; it's it's nothing big.
0: It's too late. I'm pretty excited. So, <laughs> so really glad uh, to have you. So, uh, tell us a little bit about yourself and about your organization, centerpiece. Yeah, and what you guys do?
2: Yeah, uh, the memoir itself grew out of my own. Uh, experience with same-sex attraction the ministry of centerpiece grew out of of my experience with same-sex attraction and having grown up in a, a christian environment all my life a, a strong christian family christian background i knew that we needed to have conversations about same-sex attraction from a christian perspective that we had never talked and that was really hard for me growing up uh, knowing that this was something that you just didn't talk about so um you know, graduating from a Christian university, um, never really having a, a safe place to talk and to have conversations about my faith and sexuality. I, I wanted to create something that would help churches and help families know how to talk with their children, with their teenagers, uh, with an adult son or daughter who identifies as gay, so that we can help our children know that uh, the church is, is the first place that we should be able to take anything, mm-hmm. that we have mm-hmm. questions about, that we're wrestling with, and certainly our sexuality falls into that. So out of my own experience, um, over time, um, we began this journey about 20 years ago, uh, thinking what would ministry look like. Um, about 10 years ago, we became a 501c3 nonprofit organization called Centerpiece with a play on words there, P-E-A-C-E. There and, uh, our website is, is, uh, centerpiece.net. So you can learn more about the, the ministry there. I have the greatest job in the world. I get to go around and, and meet, uh, people all over the world and talk about how to have this conversation, uh, more effectively. What's, what's most gratifying to me is to know that we can help people learn how to have safe conversations with their children that keep them connected to church and keep them connected to God. Uh, that's the greatest reward to me. It's not just to make sure that they think the same way that we do about homosexuality. Uh, this is a bigger question for our teenagers and college-age students, especially uh, because we've been so inconsistent in the ways that we have talked about this, in the ways that we've looked at this in comparison to other things in our lives, it's really become important to keep them connected to any basis for faith uh, by learning how to talk about this uh, in safer, kinder, gentler ways. And mm-hmm. and I love getting to talk to elderships, to families, uh, helping them learn how to do that.
1: Now, Sally, you mentioned um, your own journey and that you have credibility on this topic because of that. But why don't you talk about also your background of working with teenagers?
2: Yeah, I I really am proud of the, the first 10 years of my professional life. After I finished my graduate degree at Abilene Christian University, I went on to teach high school. Uh, actually, it was middle school in the mornings, if you can believe, and high school in the afternoon. You talk about changing mindset from working <laughs> with 12 year olds <laughs> yeah in the morning to 18 year olds in the afternoon but it was a wonderful time i got to uh direct plays uh, it was a smaller school and they didn't have uh any idea of what a real theater program was so they thought if if you had been in a play that you could certainly direct a play and that was me <laughs> <laughs> but it was great fun and i love those kids uh we traveled to speech tournaments on the weekends and just really bonded with those kids over a a 10 year period um, went on uh, later in my career to teach uh, 10 years at Abilene Christian University and taught uh, in the communication department there and uh, worked with college age students uh, and the older you get the more you realize sometimes that 18 to 21 year olds are not that far removed from 13 year olds but we won't mm. tell them that
0: no. <laughs> <listen> anyways, right? <laughs> no they wouldn't believe us no, no,
2: yeah i i love to to tell people that i am i am truly a teacher at heart and i'm still doing that my classroom just looks very different
0: so you mentioned earlier about uh, Having better conversations mm-hmm. about uh, same sex attraction, and I know, and I'll just I'll be confessional that uh, I don't have a lot of friends or even relationships with with people of same sex attraction. And I, and as I, as I that either, you know that I know that that that's great, yeah. So, uh, and so I'm not even having those conversations, obviously. And so as as I, as I think through that, and as I was preparing for this, I'm like, you know, I don't even know if I have the best language. To use, yeah. uh, as I would speak to someone who maybe would talk to me if I, if I would. So could you talk a little bit about that, about, about giving, uh, appropriate healthy language, uh, yeah. to this topic?
2: That's a, that's a great question, Chris, and you are certainly not alone. Uh, as we began to think about this ministry uh, 10 years ago, one of the elders who was working with me on putting this together said, Sally, I don't even know what words I'm supposed to use. I don't know how to talk about this. I don't have language to put around this. And I, I talk with so many people who feel the same way. Um, and when you're coming from a Christian perspective, sometimes our language is very different than uh, the language that our teenagers are exposed to on a on a daily basis, and that that's just in such simple terms as the word "gay." Mm-hmm. Uh, if we're talking about someone who experiences same sex attraction, uh, we're talking uh, we're we're using some Christian language there already. That uh, in the secular world. Uh, they wouldn't necessarily phrase it that way. It's, it's too cumbersome and there's, uh, there's a real identification with, uh, the term LGBT, which stands for lesbian, gay, bisexual, or transgender. And there are some other letters that, that go on beyond that, but for sake of clarity and, and time here, we'll, uh, We'll just shorten it to that. But that's the language that your children are going to know. Uh, that's the language that that middle school to teenage kids are going to be most familiar with. And, and they're going to say that I'm gay. They're going to say that a friend is gay. Um, that's an identity. To Christians, sometimes that's that's very offensive. They don't like to use the word gay. The thought of someone being a gay Christian is an anomaly to them. Mm-hmm. Um, I've had people tell me, well, you can't be a gay Christian. And yet, I have many former students from Abilene Christian University who identify as gay Christians. They are completely devoted Christ followers uh, and, and some of them will tell you that uh, a relationship with someone of the same sex is okay with God, but many of them adhere to a very firm belief that they are called to a life of celibacy, and yet they still identify as a gay Christian. So that language is the language of a younger generation. And it's hard for those of us in in our 50s to realize that if you want to have a conversation about sexuality with someone under the age of 30, you you need to be able to use that word and not be put off by that word gay. Uh, A lot of times we still use the word homosexual. Uh, we talk about homosexuality because that's the language of at least the NIV translation of of scripture, mm-hmm. and so that's the word that we want to use. And yet, I, I talk to people who identify as gay who are who are offended by that word. Mm-hmm. Some are not, but but some are, and it's very clinical sounding. It's very off putting. Is, 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 is that why
0: folks might be offended by that? Uh,
2: it's it's why I really don't. Like that term. Mm-hmm. I don't like for someone to identify me as a homosexual. Mm-hmm. Uh, people who are heterosexual uh, don't have to announce that they are heterosexual or right. be identified as, well, my heterosexual friend. Uh, or we, we need to just love the heterosexuals. We, we don't say things like that. So I think it says more about our discomfort sometimes and just our lack of having talked about this. But either way, if you want to keep the door open for conversation, which I think is certainly our goal with any age group, but especially teens, um, we, we need to use the language that, that speaks to them and not be so quick to get embroiled in a uh, a disagreement over semantics and let that keep us from being able to to speak to the heart of a teenager
1: so speaking of conversation and how to have conversations um can you tell us a little bit about when you told your parents mm. and how that conversation went and how they responded um just your experience on that side, that some of these teenagers might be going through the same exact things.
2: I was a lot older when I told my mom. I didn't tell my dad. Um, my relationship with my dad was was really difficult. I didn't really have a relationship. I lived in the same home. Uh, I grew up in, in a, a sweet home in so many ways, but there were problems in my family. I write about that and and loves God, likes girls, uh, but for all the problems, there were lots of sweet things. But the relationship with my father was very difficult uh, at best, uh, just did not feel close to him, and and had reason to be fearful of, of him and um, the rage that I had seen from my dad. So I didn't have that conversation with my father. I, I did with my mom, and I was very, very close to my mom. I remember very well uh, sitting in—I was in law school at the time at Texas Tech, and I was in my apartment in Lubbock, and she had come up by herself um, to spend Mother's Day weekend with me, and I sat on one end of an ottoman. Uh, she was sitting on the other end, and so we sat back to back. I was so uh, afraid— and ashamed of of what I needed to tell her, of what I needed to share with her about myself, this part of myself that I couldn't even look at her. And yet here was the pers- person closest to me in my life. Uh, no one loved me like my mom, and I knew that. And I found it really difficult to believe that she would ever change how she felt about me But the fear of that is so very real that it is terrifying. And when you're a kid, you know, I was uh, 35 years old when I did that. And there's a big difference when you're 35 and when you're 15. Mm -hmm. And so the thought of uh, all the stories that I had heard about my friends that I had gone to Abilene Christian with whose families had turned their backs, who had written letters to them telling them they were no longer welcome in their family, that they would cease all communication with them. All of that is going through the back of my head, too. I'm remembering how others' families have responded, and I'm wondering, is my mom going to respond the same way? What's my extended family going to do with that? What if I don't get to go home on Thanksgiving or Christmas either? That was in the early 80s that so many of my friends uh, experienced that kind of rejection, that kind of isolation, that some some of that lasted for the next two decades of their lives. But that was terrifying to think that that might now be my experience. And while I didn't believe that that would happen, I was afraid of that. I'm fearful for kids still today, and that's what breaks my heart, is that in 2016, that does still happen. Uh, when when a student opens up, uh, there are families that turn their backs. There are families that cut off all financial support, and they are left alone. I could tell you students that I know right now who are living with different people than their parents because their families turned them out. I am so very blessed that uh, there was never a time in my life when my mom or dad turned their back on me. That's been uh, the second greatest blessing of my life is that they stood by me. They stayed with me. The first uh, blessing of my life is that they taught me about Jesus and they introduced me to him. But the second was that they loved me like God loves me, which is without condition without stipulations uh whether i responded as they wanted me to or i didn't they loved me and they stood by me and uh my father is is still living and still with me today in fact i just got off the phone with him just a a few minutes ago so uh there's a very close relationship there and i feel very blessed to have that
0: so yeah i I think i'm Maybe going off script a little bit because we, we try to order our questions and all that. But this, you know, this story is obviously incredibly important. I mean, you can just tell how when, when someone shares a story that, you know, this is a, uh, uh, a very important moment, very formative moment to, to share, um, yes. to share with family. Um, had you shared with anyone before that? I think you'd mentioned in, in your book, you'd, um been speaking with the counselor before that, correct? Yeah. Was there anyone else besides that or was it the no. counselor? Okay. All right.
2: No. I um I finally got to such a place of misery from the shame that I carried. Uh and, and really not knowing how to resolve all of the questions that I had. You know, when you've grown up in a Christian home um uh, that's um pretty conservative. You learned very early that number one, this is something that, that is not supposed to be a part of your life. And secondly, you're not supposed to talk about that. Uh, you're just supposed to make it go away. And at least from my generation, that, that was pretty much the way we grew up is you don't talk about this because you hear the jokes, you hear, uh, the name calling, you hear, all of the derogatory comments, all of the hateful slurs. And unfortunately, there are some segments of of our world that still live like that. The most unfortunate thing is that many times that comes from uh, Christians, that sometimes we as as Christians, as Christ followers, can be the most uh, judgmental, and the most isolating of, of anybody, uh, a kid who identifies as gay will often find much more acceptance, much more unconditional love uh, in the secular realm than he or she will in the Christian realm. And so uh, you're, you're, just, you're just scared to death to, to tell anybody. Um, my mom was the second person uh, that I told uh, the counselor that i told first um was he was just incredible about responding uh to me and and again i was i was petrified i didn't know how he would respond to me whether he would take me um you know, I hear counselors sometimes say that, that they would be loving in their response, but they don't really know anything about that. And so, uh, it would be better to refer that person to someone else who had more expertise. Well, I'm so thankful that, that the counselor that I worked with didn't do that because it took such, uh, courage to come and share in the first place. That the thought of having to go through all of that again with someone else, I never would have gone back.
0: Yeah, that, what what a, a horrible response that would be! It's thanks for telling me. Let's go talk to yeah. someone else about that. Like I don't. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: Yeah. Put put their arm around you, pat you as they escort you down the door to <laughs> right. the hall of someone else. Because yeah. what you what you're experiencing is so freakish and so outlandish that I just I don't even know what to do with you. Right. Um. I'm so thankful that he didn't respond that way. Quite the opposite. Do you think as parents
1: or mentors, youth ministers, this conversation doesn't need to be initiated by the student or is there indicators that parents can be on the lookout for to at least open the door or to ask good questions
2: to start that conversation? That's, that's a great question. And ordinarily, um, as a general rule, I would say wait until that person comes to you, especially, especially if it's an older student. Um if if we're talking parents and there's a close relationship there and and you know your child and you know that there's something amiss, uh if they're generally very talkative and, and they're pulling back mm-hmm. uh, you know, just those typical uh signs of, of something being wrong, then then you can I I, I think parents know best about what uh, to say or, or do to help their child feel free to, to open up, but at the same time, I, I I think there are there are moments that that you just you give people room, mm. um, and while we're giving them room, we remember the things that we say about this. And the ways that we talk about this and the ways that uh, we respond to gay characters on television shows, let's say, mm-hmm. and and some of the reactions that we have, not just uh, with our words, but our facial expressions and shaking our heads when we see a gay character and oh, I can't believe, look at what, the, you know, those kinds of reactions to things uh if you are uh, really questioning your sexuality um i remember when when i was a teenager and and hearing those kinds of of remarks um i heard my mom um say at, at one point well that's just that's just sick those people are just sick uh did she have any clue that she was talking to her daughter who would experience those feelings when she was older, not at all, not in any way. She was in, in her defense, she would say she was, was trying to teach me. And that was a response that, that taught me how I, but what it did is it created a lot of guilt and shame, uh, and kept me from ever being able to feel free to tell her. So Mm. I think, the ways that we talk about uh same sex attraction, the way we talk about someone who has that we know is gay makes all the difference in the world and whether or not uh especially a teen will feel free to open up to us so I would say those things a lot of times we think that there are stereotypical markers that we can tell uh when um uh, someone is is experiencing same-sex attraction. And there, are, there are a lot of myths that we buy into because we, we just, uh, come in a variety of shapes and sizes and likes and dislikes. And there might be, um, indicators to those of us who experience same-sex attraction. I think that would probably be easier, but, uh, to say that, that, uh, you can always tell when someone is gay is just a, a myth. You just, you just can't always know
0: that. That'd be too easy. Right. Exactly. Yeah. It's never that. I mean, in, over, over any kind of circumstance you know, it's, it's never that easy. Right. So let's, let's just flip that around for a second. You know, we talk about um, parents or helpers. Um, you know, what do they do? What does a teenager do? If a teenager is, Experiencing um, feelings of same-sex attraction, not sure what to do or who to talk to. You know, if you were counseling a student and 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 talking to them about that, and what would you, how how would you walk them through that? Um, who would you point them towards? Who if it, does, that, does that make sense? Just yeah, if from, from, from a, if it,
2: a teen comes to me yeah, and yeah. says, "Here's what I'm feeling. I'm feeling attracted to my own gender." What what? Yeah uh i'm I'm gonna want to keep the door open to conversation and I'm gonna want to reassure him or her that uh, they're they're safe uh i'm I'm gonna acknowledge that they've really honored me with something big um that's that's probably gonna be the first thing that I do is thank them for feeling free to open up to me that I'm so honored. Uh, that they would uh, feel free to come to me and share something that's such a, mm-hmm. a, a part of them. Uh, and then uh, a question that I always like to follow up with is is to just simply say, "Tell me, tell me what this has been like for you." I'm going to want to engage them in conversation because it's really important that they know that nothing changes with me. At the point in time that I learn this new piece of information about them, I, I want them to know that nothing, nothing changes. And if anything, it endears them to me even more because they've shared something that is really, really difficult to share. So, uh, my being willing, uh, to take time to just sit and listen, uh, I want to avoid, uh, offering, uh, a lot of advice, you know, 10 to 1. Uh, and, and again, this comes from a, a Christian perspective, but I think one of the things that we do that, that really shuts down conversation with someone who is experiencing same-sex attraction is to begin with automatically, uh, telling someone what we think. Um, thinking that it's really important. And we, especially with, with students, you know, we want to make sure that they know what, uh, we want them to think about this. And so we want to tell them very, uh, upfront. Well, you know, that's wrong. Well, you know, that's this. Fill in the blank with, with whatever your thoughts may be on that. Sometimes we even go so far as to begin quoting scripture, uh, if we're in a Christian perspective. Um, when the most important thing that we can do if we want to keep that conversation going so that we have more opportunities in the future to really guide and to really influence is to ask questions and to really hear what that student's trying to to share about his or her experience um, so questions like tell me what this has been like for you tell me um tell me about your family. Have you shared with your family? Does anybody in your family know what's that, uh, what's that been like with your family? Uh, Do any friends know? I would want to find out who they've talked to and um, what that's been like and, and really explore uh, their, their feelings um, about, about how other people have responded.
0: Now, you know, you've given the most difficult piece of advice to pastors and teachers and counselors to not be directive
2: (laughs) (laughs) yes and and i often i often have to bite my tongue on that i i too i understand that i'm i'm a talker and so i'd much rather talk and tell you uh and i'm also a fixer i Mm -hmm. i love to help and and so of course i can tell you exactly what you need to do right (laughs) but when i When I remember back, um, and still to this day, I mean, the people that I'm going to go back to when I want advice, uh, when I want guidance for my life, it's the people who have listened to me. Um, The counselor that I worked with uh, isn't here on this earth anymore. Uh, He listened to me for two decades. Uh, He passed away just this past summer. And, and, oh my goodness, you become aware of, of how valued it is to, to have someone listen to you and listen to understand you, not just sit there and look at you while you're formulating what you're going to say when they shut up, which is what I often do a lot of times. But, um, to really listen to understand and to listen to, to just let you um, get those feelings out, that was that was probably the most valuable thing that he did for me, was that he listened.
1: Do you have any advice um, for parents maybe who had this conversation or reacted negatively? Is there anything that they can do to either open up that line of communication again or to go back to that student and say, you're right, I was wrong, and here's how I can fix it. I know there's probably not an end-all, be-all to fix that relationship, but do you have any advice for parents who hmm. want to bite back some words that they might have said?
2: Those two little words that are some of the most difficult words to come out of our mouths are really powerful here. I am sorry. Well, I guess that's three words. Um <laughs> I think that's that's the greatest thing that we can do. Um, I remember as a kid how powerful that was to hear my mom and my dad uh apologize and um to start over because it at that moment it it did start over and and yet with this it's it's really hard um to build that relationship back once that rejection has happened but of course. I believe all things are possible with God. And so with God's help, um, we continue to move forward. And, and I, I think so many students that I talk to are very understanding of how difficult this is for parents. You know, um, after I shared with my mom and she shared then with my dad, we, there were a lot of things that we needed to work through as a family, and, and that was a great gift to move forward uh, with them as as a family. But I remember many times of just having heated conversations um, of my having to explain uh, what it's like to be someone who experiences same-sex attraction, and I, I remember telling them, well, not only am I having to deal with this myself, but I'm having to explain all of it to you and <laughs> and help you understand and, and my, my parents were very sweet to understand that, but but they didn't understand and and they didn't have a place. That's why here's here's my plug for the parent group here in the Dallas Fort Worth area. We've started uh a support group for moms and dads who have a son or daughter who identifies as gay. And we have parents there with young teenagers. We have parents there uh, with uh, sons uh, who have died of AIDS. So we have a wide range of ages and uh, ages of children. But it's a wonderful group that meets every other week, and they can find support from other moms and dads. Uh, Sally will listen all day long, but, but I'm not a mom or dad and I've not had that experience to be able to talk to someone who has already gone through this or is a little bit farther down the road, uh, with, with a son or daughter who's gay. That can be a really tremendous, uh, support, but, um, always strive to, to keep that relationship going and, and don't let your pride Stand in the way of reconnecting with right. your child.
0: You talk a lot about connectedness
2: mm-hmm.
0: in your book, or at least that's a theme that I draw. This and this Teen Lifeline, we, we it's a big thing we thrive on in our groups is we, we want students to feel like they're connected to other people, connected to God if they have a relationship with God. And when those connections break down, uh, that's when we start to see the poor decision making and all of that. So, talk a little bit about. about the importance of connectedness with your family, obviously, but um, with with the church and um, with the organizations that you're a part of.
2: Like I said earlier, I think um, our biggest fear is that if I tell you, you're going to walk away. If you know this about me, then you will turn away. You will no longer want to have anything to do with me. And that's that's hurtful. Uh, But it's hurtful for a really big reason, I believe, and that is that we were designed to be in relationship. We were designed for intimacy, uh, emotional intimacy, spiritual intimacy, intellectual intimacy, as well as physical intimacy. But um, the thought of not being connected, of not fitting in, of not belonging, it's one of the most painful things that you can experience, and I talk to so many men and women um, of all ages, but but teenagers uh, who are scared to death of of being all alone, who feel very isolated, who feel isolated in their churches. They may be sitting in the pew every Sunday, but they don't feel connected. Uh they don't feel uh like they're an integral part of, of that body there. Same thing with families, like we mentioned earlier. People are, are still kicked out of their families uh for being gay. It's it's just really, really important uh to maintain that connection. I, I think one of the one of the most gripping experiences I had not too long ago, uh, was sitting in uh, a coffee shop with a 14-year-old, Christian family, just absolutely precious young man. And he was telling me about his experience with with being attracted to boys and, and not knowing what to do with that. And his mom and dad, uh, of course had, had given him permission to, to talk with me and, and they were giving us some time alone, but with their permission. And he shared with me, he, he looked across the, the table and said, Sally, does this mean that I'm going to have to live the rest of my life by myself? Hmm. A lot of times, um, we as Christians only offer uh, one option, and that is uh, a life of aloneness, a life of celibacy. And that's why I I talk a lot about developing community and, and rethinking in our churches um, what it means to really uh, get a sense of belonging and, and live life together, to share life together. Because if you're calling people to a life of aloneness, uh, we're gonna have to do a better job of providing real intimacy and community for people, uh, who don't, don't feel that right now. Um, we were not designed to live by ourselves. And unless we can, can rethink the way we do community and the way we provide intimacy for each other, uh, we're we're not gonna we're gonna continue to lose more and more of our kids. Um, that that sweet uh, good fourteen uh, year old boy that's wanting to follow God in his life is is not going to be able to survive in this culture uh, all alone. He's going to need uh, a deeper sense of family and connection to do that.
0: So to follow up with that just on on a larger level. When you talk to, when you even think about pastors or uh, teachers in a classroom or anyone who sets up an environment where students exist together, um, talk a little bit about what, 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 do, what do people who lead those environments need to think about mm-hmm. when it comes to creating, creating a, a space where students will feel safe, um, be willing to share what is going on with their lives, um, you know, that where they won't feel alone or isolated.
2: I'm I'm remembering back to my teaching days, and uh, for that 50 minutes, or for that entire weekend, if we were on a bus going to a speech tournament, we were a family. Mm. Uh, we were connected, and you know, even that is hard because that word "family" uh, creates a lot of of anxiety uh, and just downright uh, bitterness for a lot of kids this day and time, but. Yet I think it's, it's because we, we really need and crave, uh, a sweet sense of family and connection. And so I wanted that space for whatever time that they were with me, I wanted them to feel safe and I wanted them to know that, uh, nobody was going to, uh, harm either with words or with anything else in my presence uh that would not be uh taken care of in whatever way I could. So so we created an environment of, of respect for each other. And at the very least uh we don't say things that are hurtful to anybody else in that environment. If it's my classroom, you you don't get to you don't get to make someone else feel unwelcome in that environment. It's my classroom and that is uh, my responsibility to create a safe and loving and welcoming environment for everybody else who's there. And so that means that I don't tolerate um, any kind of name-calling. I don't tolerate any kind of making fun of. Once I become aware of that, and I've got to be more diligent then in looking for those signs of one-student uh Berating another student, uh, however that's happening. And a lot of times that's hard because they can, they can be pretty sneaky in the ways that Mm -hmm. they do it. But, um, I feel really strongly about creating a safe environment. And if you get buy-in from those students, when you talk about that, um, I think in, in my experience in teaching, and granted, it was, it was a while back, but I think, I think kids still respond to that, um, and I think they want an environment where everybody feels safe.
0: Absolutely, this has been fun. Mm-hmm. And it has like, been. Like I, I've learned a lot, and I, I want to talk to you a lot longer. But you mean we're through? I think. I, I mean, we can continue to talk. <laughs> There's uh, so many sure. more things. I want so to So many more things. I know. I know. But we're we're like it. We're actually at, at the at kind of towards the top of our time of what Great. we typically will do, which is always great to leave a conversation wanting more and so hopefully we'll be able to talk to you again about more of this so thank you so much for joining us
2: thanks for having me it's been great
1: the don't panic podcast is produced by teen lifeline your hosts are chris roby and carly duke with special support from ricky lewis the music you heard today comes from under the chandeliers you can find them on soundcloud or spotify If you want to check out today's notes and resources, visit our website, don'tpanicpodcast.org. Or you can find us on Twitter or Instagram at Don't Panic Talk. Finally, here's a word from our sponsor, Lubbock Christian University. Thanks for listening, and remember, don't panic. You've got this. Hi, my name is Becca, and all my professors at Lubbock Christian University know it. I never realized what a difference it would make attending a smaller university, I've traveled the world and I've had leadership opportunities you can only find at a place like LCU. I know that my experience at Lubbock Christian University is what gave me the edge to be hired right after graduation.
0: Believe, belong, be blue. That's Lubbock Christian University.
2: Remember, only you can start forest fires.
0: (laughs) So this is
2: Sally Gary reminding you to stay calm and don't panic.